welcome back to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, John Marcus, head coach of High Performance West. And we bring back our favorite guest, Vern Gambetta, <laughs> strength coach extraordinaire. Um, good to have you on, Vern. Oh, it's great to be on, you guys. I, uh, it's, it's an honor. It's an honor. So. Anyway. Well, as as always happens when we have Vern on, we, we have some interesting conversations that go in multiple directions. So we, we wanted to couch this, frame this around, what is high-performance coaching? And this is, as it always is, a, a no-bullshit, no-BS uh, type <laughs> approach. So um, let's dive in. John, you want to get us started? Well, originated because, you know, Vernon shot us an email a couple of days back saying, you know, hey, I feel really compelled to write on coaching excellence and focus on the process. And I think that in and of itself, that's where high performance comes in. You know, now the hot topic is analytics, big data, as much as you can, you know, decipher about a human being. I mean, you're seeing it kind of trickle down in the, you know, um, from the major sports leagues with you know, viewing the rotational angle of someone's rotator cuff as a pitcher and then projecting their long-term durability over the course of, you know, an MLB season or playoff season. And you use that inference to make your decisions on, you know, how many pitches or that. It, you know, there's this attraction in this day and age from a mechanic standpoint to derive everything to, you know, the, the pseudo artificial intelligence. It's just oh, allowing yeah. the control freaks to feel like they're in even more control. Like the fact that you can predictably, you know, quantify or qualify what an athlete's going to do on the field of play. It stems from this hubris that you have in business where you sit in a, a meeting, someone puts down an Excel file and or a nice PowerPoint and they say, here's a long-term growth trajectory of this platform or this, you know, product. And yet the elephant in the room is no one knows. <laughs> like that's what life's about. No, no, nobody adventure. knows and everybody's afraid to admit that they don't know because they don't want to come across like a grouchy old man like me <laughs> like dad, who, who didn't, who didn't grow up with technology. And I thought I was going to be, I thought I was really deprived for a long time, you know, when heart rate monitors came out and I was coaching middle distance and distance and I didn't have a heart rate monitor, you know, and I thought, God, is that something's wrong with me, you know? And, and, uh, but you know what? It didn't matter when I got it. It didn't tell me anything different than I didn't know before because now everybody was looking at their heart rate monitors instead of, instead of listening to their bodies, you know? So yeah, I mean, what, what real, there's been some pretty incredible performances in, in in all our, our lifetimes, you know, without all the technology and all the BS that we have, you know, that that's I think is putting barriers between coaches and athletes and putting barriers between our support staff and 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 coaches too, you know. And it's I, I don't want to I, I don't want to come across as the grouchy grumpy old man that I am, but. but I just have a lot of questions because my question comes right away. If we're, if we're so great at all this high performance stuff, why are injuries in all sports? And, you know, I want to keep this more athletics, but, but obviously I work in other sports too. Why are injuries? The more we know, the more they're off the scale, you know? And I think, mm -hmm. I think we have to really, really look at that. Have we taken our eye off the ball? I.E communication with the athlete you know you mentioned spreadsheets um you know and and uh yeah i mean i always say numbers are one-dimensional and and human beings are three-dimensional and performance is multi-dimensional you know and and uh so where are we going yeah I don't know. yeah it's it's some good points made there and i think one of the fun foundational problems is that as coaches like we hate uncertainty and we live in an uncertain world and it right. gives it gives us this comfort to be like, oh, here's my here's my data, here's my analytics, which gives me my answer. And it it doesn't matter what that answer is; it gives me an answer, <laughs> right? And so we here's feel we, we feel good about it because, like, oh no, this is this is hard data. This is my answer, and it's almost like we get satisfied and we feel good about it. And we're like, okay, this this is good coaching. 
when yeah. we we need to learn how to embrace like the uncertainty of it and realize and have the hubris enough to say hey like i don't i don't know the answer i think this is going to work but i don't know if it will work uh, yeah. and that's what kind of coaching is and i think we're we're in this era where we're trying to go towards like everyone has to have the exact right answer and everyone has to know exactly what's going to work and guarantee what works. But that's, that's not life. And I think it stems from, you know, athletic directors not being coaches anymore. They're business people. So they're used to these forecasts and these, you know, presentations and this, all right, we did this this year. We won these many games and now we're going to win more games because, you know, we've included this types of, uh, you know, uh, ancillary staff that's going to really help elevate us. And But how many times do you see that a team or an athlete have a, you know, amazing Cinderella story season or a very successful season, and then the next year, boom, just flat on their face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a terrific book that everybody, regardless of your um, sport, ought to read, and it's called The Arm by Jeff, Pass- I, I'm not going to say his name right, Passan. And he was the uh, one of the keynote speakers at the sports biometric conference I went to in San Francisco three weeks ago, and it was it was I've read the book twice, and uh, and hearing him speak, he's a brilliant brilliant speaker. I mean, the first talk I've been to in years that didn't have a PowerPoint presentation. He just spoke for half an hour and was very engaging, and 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 I couldn't help but think that that he the point being that all the analytics stuff, for example, in baseball. Has really made a change in the game in terms of tactics and and, and strategy, right? Where mm-hmm. you place infielders and in that, but the injuries are have gone sky high again. And you know we have more sports scientists. We have every major league team has a as a head and assistant conditioning coaches. There's a conditioning coach with every minor league team, you know, and, and that. And they're all doing injury prevention, you know, driven by <laughs> metrics that are measurable based on algorithms and based on models, uh, biomechanical models. And, and my point is, why, is, why isn't anybody questioning these models? You know, we have a guy in track and field, Ralph Mann, who's a biomechanist. He has a model for sprinting, but it's based on American sprinters. And the American sprinters aren't the best sprinters in the world anymore. You know, I know this is going to ignite a firestorm with <laughs> USA track and field who pays him a lot of money. But I know Tom Telez agrees with me. Right, Steve? And, yeah. and that you can't. It's not about a model. It, it's about looking at looking as Franz Boss says. Sorry, guys, I'm getting fired up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got to look under the hood, man. And, 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 and there's so much individual variability that that. That's what makes what we do so much fun and so challenging, you know. But if it was just a model, freaking a, why don't you just have a robot contest then, you know? Yeah, yeah. It comes down to so. Well, it's exactly like you know, in science, the model is always evolving. It, it kind of how they used yeah. to think there were specific receptors on your tongue that sense sweet, sour, salty, etc. And now that's just complete hogwash. Because the original who made that test was just said, okay, hey, these exist because that was reflective of the research of their sample size. But, you know, and then they said, oh, that's it. It's put to bed. It's done. No big deal. But that mentality is the earth is the center of the universe mentality rather than actually know we just revolve around the sun. Mm -hmm. And how many times have we heard it takes years, decades for those advances in science to be accepted, you know, Galileo's theory on the, you know, the sun rotating or the sun, washing your hands in the hospital. Yeah. The person who realized you had to do that was, you know, uh, uh, was, was outcasted. Yeah. I mean, he, medical profession, right? Yeah, he was driven mad. I mean, people yeah. thought it was, you know, crazy, but it's exactly mm-hmm. right. And sometimes that's what changed to step outside the conformist route or path and be able to say, no, this is what really, really matters. It's yeah. fundamental. I mean, yeah. yesterday I had the you know pleasure of being able to shadow an occupant. You know, have 
um, like hyperplasia or who are born really premature. And we have an hour window to do therapy, you know, with these kids. And the occupational therapist said something so brilliant. He's like, so we go on the kids' timetable. Sometimes I can only get 15 minutes of good activity with it because they get tired. And when the kid sure. gets tired, they're going to let you know they're going to cry and they're not going to be interested anymore. And sometimes you can go a little bit longer, but you know, you're just trying to maximize what you can within that hour. And sometimes high performance for that hour is 15 minutes yeah. and that's it. And the rest of the time you're just hanging out having fun. And that's what we forget is you have like a three hour practice session and as a coach, you feel compelled to maximize every minute of that practice session. But that's not necessarily high performance because the human body can't be in the sympathetic, highly stimulated mode all the time. That's all why you, you need that parasympathetic downtime. And I think we forget the importance of that system since it's not the sexy, cool, excited system. But as we know now more and more, if you don't allow that system to be engaged, you're going to naturally engage it other ways by eating a whole lot, by sleeping yeah. a whole lot, right. by throwing off your balance. And then all of a sudden you have this athlete or this person who's just totally out of whack, who's in hyperdrive all day and then gorges themselves at night to try to get some balance or homeostasis. And it's a vicious, never ending cycle. And that's, you know, we can't go and track a pulse on is your parasympathetic system? How much percent is that engaged right now? You know, we can't do that yet. So we There's look to these. Know that there's people, though, that, you know, that, that put all their stock in Omega Wave. Yep. Oh, I, mm -hmm. I, hook you up, I hook you up and I get this score. And it's a training readiness score. And right. the, at the conference, and I'm not trying to slam Omega Wave. I think it has, it can have a place. I don't have it. I don't, can't afford it. Um, I just <laughs> use things like how do you feel? Uh, but uh, it's a lot cheaper. But um, <laughs> You know, but but the point being that it's, you know, that you can, why not just, I mean, I'll never forget, um, I think it was 1985, I'll never forget because on the plane was Jim Henson, uh, who's passed away not too long after that, uh, flight out to Vancouver, and Jack Daniels and I uh, were talking at this conference in, uh, this is a sports science, sports medicine coaching conference, in, uh, and it was Thanksgiving weekend. Um, 1985, and um, and then so we did our presentations, and this woman um, exercise physiologist got up and did her did a presentation on overtraining in rowers and uh, marker. I'm sorry, markers of overtraining and markers of training. And think about this, guys. This was that was 30 years ago now, right? And they did they did blood urinalysis. They did everything. They testosterone cortisol ratios, all these you know invasive measures that you could do at that time. And when they when they they'd had an N of well over a thousand in at their the two training centers in Canada that was rowing. And at the end of the day, the thing that correlated the highest and related the highest to the athlete's readiness to train on that particular day was when the coach on the dock would say, hey, Vern, how do you feel today? <laughs> so um, that, that's quite... I mean, I've never, I've never forgotten that. Yeah. You know, all these other things are really cool. But at the end of the day, and what you just said, and I think that's why this whole concept, getting away in all our coaching ed programs still teach homeostasis and, you know, and, and yeah. Selye's... Uh, adaptation of stress instead of looking at allostasis and looking at the whole person you know mm -hmm. man that's a sea change you know the example that you just gave where yeah every all the training markers are really good but the guy goes home and he stuffs himself for three hours <laughs> right um, so, so, there's a reason for that and it doesn't show up in the numbers so you know? so how do we do this i mean this is this is what really high performance is to it, me it yeah is. steve so, didn't you just write a post on this i did i i have to tell this because it's uh well i wrote a post on on asking how you feel right and um yeah without giving away uh names our one of our favorite all of our favorite coaches once told me <laughs> once told me at practice hey why are you asking how an athlete feels you should never ask that question and i was like what, wait, why, why not? And he goes, because it, it brings seeds of doubt into their mind when you ask how they feel, because they just, 
it doesn't matter. They need to run through a brick wall and get it done. And I was blown away and was no longer allowed to ask how someone feels <laughs> when they train. And, and it was just mind blowing to me because it's like, you know, that's one of the things that Tom Telez would always ask me, how do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? And it was ingrained because he was trying to compare how he thought I was supposed to feel with how I actually felt in the job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, when, when we, we did, um, we did some tracking here with just some simple apps and uh, looked at a bunch of different stuff, including HRV and sleep and all this stuff. And the thing that tracked most with um, with performance in that interval session or performance in the race was the simplest question, how do you feel? Rate it one to five. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was it. And, and that tracked better than anything else we did and i think that gets back to it is like that is data that that can't exactly be captured through anything else and i think one of my favorite and i'm a science guy you guys know that but one of my favorite default persons to quote on this is sir roger bannister who who said you know the human body is centuries ahead of the physiologists right And it's just, and, and it's so true. Like you just said, in the 70s, they were tracking all this stuff and they didn't do anything. We're tracking the same thing right now. Omega yeah. Wave has been, and you know, as I said, all of it has some sort of value. It all brings something to the table, but you have, to, you, you have to know what that something is. And I think, yes. I think too often we say, oh, this is my answer. This tells me everything I need. So I'm just going to hook athletes up to this or track this. And then what happens is you forget the human component and you forget the simple, hey, how'd that feel out there? That feel bad? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we got to change something. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not, it's, it's so simple. It's, it's stupid. And I think that that's the thing is high performance. Now people equate it with high tech or yes. high complexity, but high the tech. simplest, you know, heuristics are the most effective, but you can't, I mean, because they're so simple. You, you, you can't sand it down to anything else. And so you can't improve upon it. And so everyone's like, oh, well, I mean, since that's not something new and exciting, it must not really be that much of, you know, a high, of a high performance matrix because we can't push this thing forward. But well, if it's been around for, you know, years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries, it's like saying the human body isn't exciting. You, I mean, we're still learning things about we're it. We're still learning things. I mean, I don't know if you guys read the Sunday New York Times. There was a terrific article, and I need to maybe we could put it on the show notes about the you know all the current immunology stuff done in terms of cancer, and it's been miraculous in terms of curing cancers. But guess what? Some of the patients are dying because it attacks the pancreas. And so you're curing the cancer, but now you have type 1 diabetes, you know, and that. And my take-home point from it was, again, it's like a terrific book by John McPhee called The Control of Nature, you know, uh, not about the body, but of nature, you know. So you build a dam someplace and you dam it up there. Well, some there's got to be some sort of equilibrium someplace else. And, and that's what we have to take into account. And, uh, you know, it's, it, to me, it's, it, it, the, the technology should, should be a supplement. We can use that at various times. And, and, and we, need to, we need to be educated as to what the limitations of the various technologies at certain times, possibly, possibly with certain athletes. Not all athletes, you know, too. It's kind of knowing. You guys have had athletes, too, that, that want to know everything. And you have other athletes that say, just, I don't even want to know what my time was. You know, I don't mm-hmm. care. I just, I'm, I know I felt good. That's good. You know, and that's, that is the craft. And, you know, I know we always revert back to this, the craft or the art of coaching. And uh, I, I, I just posted today on the stage the development of a coach from Frank Dick, you know, and I, I, I do think that there's this thinking that a high performance coach is the most high tech coach. And and I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, as you know, I'm doing a lot with swimming and and uh, I, I look at the coaches that are really, really producing and getting results and 
They understand the technology. They understand that, but they 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 know the athletes. They what? know the athletes, and getting to know it's that's not easy, guys. You know that. You know oh, you yeah. got to come to an understanding because with particularly with younger athletes like you're working with and I'm working with, we are an authority figure. So a lot of times, particularly when you're an old man like me with gray hair and stuff that looks like their grandfather, they tell you sometimes what you want, what they think you want to hear. And that's where you have to, you know, you have to open the lines of communication and say, guy, you tell me you look really good, but you know, you crawled out to the pool deck today. Something isn't equating here, you know? So, well, well, that's the art part of it is, and I think that's all uh, not to get all doom and gloom here, but I think the, (laughs) the, the art of communicating and reading people, um, in that way is, is becoming lost, right? Because our communication technology is changing and such that I think that I think that no one teaches you how to look at an athlete when they walk into practice or walk out on the track and to be able to look at his posture and look how he's walking and, and understand his, his, his language and his mannerisms when he tells you how he, how he feels to actually understand what is all that data, that information telling me. And that's just all intuitive that you have to have to mm. learn how to read. And I think that that's not that's not taught anywhere, right? It's it's nope. it's none of the coaches' education ever do that. They just rely on oh well, well over experience they'll get that. Well, you no. only get that experience if you are in tuned and paying attention to it. And and take note of it and say, oh, he acted this way. This means this. And you get enough of that experience and eventually you might sure. figure it out. But I think that skill is is a lost one that we're not we're not getting. But I think to to the further to the bigger point, and this comes back to, you know, your topic of Ralph Mann and models and USA track and field is is the simple stuff, the art art side of coaching can't be packaged in a smooth, slick uh, way that sells and no. you're you're you're, you're always going to have a portion of the coaching population that needs to sell their product yeah and they're yeah. there they become these marketers where here's this black box of a model that i've developed that has all your answers we're not going to look under the hood we're not going to question the assumptions yeah. that it has because it's it's a science and it's model and here's all these numbers here it is. We're going to apply it, and you're going to get better. And everyone just kind of accepts it. It's the uh, you know mm-hmm. I was talking to a good friend um, a couple of days ago about Omega Wave, and he's like, "It's great, but it's kind of like a black box. Is it spits out these numbers, and we're we're told to accept them, but yeah. I don't yeah. I don't know the algorithms that are going on. I don't right. know what it, it's actually telling me. But as coaches, we just kind of say, "Oh, it's it, here's some fancy equipment." Let's go yeah. with it. Well, it's convenient, and you know, try the, the, the what's convenient isn't right. Somebody said to me, uh, "It's a great point. Take a take take a sixteen or seventeen year old today and try to get him to lie still at the start of practice for ten minutes. If we try it, why do do it today, Steve? With your you guys both, you know, it, it ain't going to happen." You know, and the, this guy did a presentation at the Sports Biometrics Conference from the Giants, and they're doing a mega wave, and there's three guys laying down out in the hallway in a visiting team clubhouse, and you could see people walking by. Like, what kind of what kind of reading are you going to get here? You know, you're going to get like a lot of literally a lot of noise. <laughs> so you're going to hang your hat on that when probably you'd have been a lot better off if you'd have just sat down and maybe just gone out and done a warm up with the guy and done it with him and listen, you know, listen to his footfalls and things like that. I'll tell you a story from, from Tom Telez from Mount Sac relays. I don't, it was, I was coaching at Cal. It was 81 possibly. And it was Friday night. And uh, this one athlete comes up to Tom, I'm talking to him and, and he says, uh, coach, um, you know, do you think it'd be okay if he was from Pomona, which is right over the hill from uh, from Mount Sac? Do you think it'd be okay if I spent the night with my family? And uh, I and Tom kind of turned away from me, and they talked for a minute. And so the kid walks away, and he said, yeah. He said, you know, he's having some difficulties, you know, with his family stuff. In fact, he says, he's supposed to run the relay tonight. I pulled him off the relay. He'll triple jump tomorrow. He'll be fine. And I thought, Damn, you know, I mean, that's coaching, isn't it? 
you know, you, uh, sensitivity to the athlete, because um, this guy was a triple jumper. He wasn't a sprinter, you know, but he ran on the relay. You know, he says, I'll, I'll find somebody else. Don't worry about it. Go see your family. You know, and you say, well, what's that have to do with high performance? It has a hell of a lot to do with high performance. Our, fa- our famous coaching that you talk, talk about, you know, that we talk about that we love him so dearly. Um, I mean, he has no sensitivity to the athletes. You know, it's, it's what he's broken more athletes than he's ever made, you know, but they get a lot of attention for the, in quote, high tech things they do, which are just masking something else that we all know is going going on, too. But we better not go there and I'll get sued if we do. So anyway, let's move on. <laughs> I think the best coach, you know, is a, a great reductionist. The, the high performance coach, the more high performance you are, the more you can reduce things to its simplest elements. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that is an art that is that that takes skill that takes time and that takes a willingness to be able to filter and that is more i feel like what we're doing now or have to do now with the complexity of different you know matrix and tests and gadgets and things that are out there is you have to filter about what really is the crux of training or relationships or communication that matters most and sometimes it's you know, it's the, it's the medicine the athlete doesn't want to take. It's the, yeah. hey, you got to do this on your own. I'm not going to be there. Just go get it done. Let me know how it goes because, you you know, that person may be highly too dependent on having that immediate copious feedback in the moment. And it's a crutch, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's you need to build someone up like, hey, that's pretty good. Don't, you know, don't undercut yourself. You're in a good position to get things done and yeah. be successful. So, you know, and that's. That again, we talk about the art and craftsmanship of coaching a lot, but really it's reducing it to how do you maximize someone's human potential? And I keep going back to that, like, you know, working with high performance or elite athletes, you know, and now sitting in occupational therapy clinics and working with, you know, human beings that have severe impairments and seeing how do we maximize their human potential? Because everyone is of value. And yet we praise the people who, are the medalists who get this done, who set these records, but they're not really necessarily the ones to be praised. I mean, I look more for people who have a steady outtick of athletes that you've never heard of, you know, who are yeah. not phenoms, who are not these copious right. talents. And yet they produce them to, you know, year in and year out, produce highly competitive people and highly successful people later on in life. Mm-hmm. I mean, far too often nowadays you hear athletes talk about their coaches, their boss. Like it, you know, they, they take this mentality in the, you know, scholastic or collegiate ranks. It's business. I'm your boss. I'm paying your, you know, college tuition or because you have some scholar. Authoritarian approach. And, you know, we know that the authoritarian approach from psychology background is not really effective. It just breeds fear and indoctrinates them with this attitude of I can't fail. And if I fail, fails a ba- failure is a bad thing. I'm going to be shunned, you know, versus you want to have some autonomy that you bring into the athlete. Yes, you need to be stern and you need to be, you know, have some authority, but it's that balance of knowing that and reducing it down to its finer elements. Like me, I'm always trying to figure out how do I get these these young men and women to full autonomy or as close as possible? Because, you know, we all know once you go out in the real world, you know, you have to be 100% self-reliant. No one's here to wipe your butt. <laughs> so, well, you know, and if you don't do that, it's a big disservice. How about when they get in the race? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, right? I mean, if you're not if you're not working on self-reliance and, and, and autonomy, you know, they're looking over and they're looking up at the clock in the stadium to see, come on. Let's 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 focus in on what what you know what you're doing here. I I agree with your point that I, I don't know if the word reductionist I would 100% agree with, but I think it the, the 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 best high performance coaches that I've seen in my career and I've studied and you know I'm working on that uh, coaching excellence chapter for you guys in, in in reflecting a lot on this are the ones that 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 just get the basics. They hammer the basics. They never get very far away from the basics because that's your most stable environment, you know, to, to create for the athletes. I mean, I use the example um, this year with Ashton Eaton. Uh, I, a lot of people don't know this. For up to four days before Olympic trials, they weren't sure whether he was going to go, whether he could go and have to have 
I don't know, Harry told me how many cc's of blood drained from his quad and won Olympic trials at 60% and won the Olympic Games at 80%, you know, and how did he do that? Because his fundamentals, the basics of each of his events and his psychological approach was so sound that he knew that he could call upon them. And it wasn't about a sophisticated, complicated model, I don't think. And that's not a put down. I mean, that's a that's a realization. So when you look at high performance and the other point you made, uh, John, too, is there's a lot of coaches out there that nobody's ever heard of that are really high performance coaches. They get those kids every year. They're contending for state titles or they're, you know, and they're always they're You know, it's 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 a consistency uh, to what we're doing, because I think sometimes we tend to think of high performance as as oh it's an olympian or it's a world record holder no it's 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 high performance at the level that you are coaching on right is what it comes down to too so it's just a challenging if if you're aiming to win a county championship and that's as far as your athletes can go as it is to win the olympic games it, you know in a lot of ways and i think i think our friend uh greg thompson is a great example of that a yeah. ele- elementary school pe teacher right who yeah who is, I would say, is a brilliant high-performance coach. Because the things he does with those kids to fundamentally change them and fundamentally change their movement is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And we're talking elementary school-age kids, right? And I I think that's that's a good point to be made because we get – we have this false idea that high performance coach means working with the Olympians or the pros or the best, and that's not – the case at all you know right I, I bring them up a lot but another Telez story i'll never forget is we were working out at a high school track um over christmas break when i was in college i believe or right out of college and i was doing some uh 200s i think and there was another teenage kid probably freshman sophomore in high school there with his dad just doing some starts and accelerations I finish up our, my workout. My dad's there watching with, with Coach Telez. I'm cooling down. Tom goes and talks to this 15-year-old kid and spends the next 30 to 40 minutes working with this random kid on how to start and how, how, to, how to run fast. And then, like, I'm done cooling down, and then he leaves, you know, Tom leaves, and my dad goes over and talks to the parent. He's like, you know who that was, right? And the, the dad's like, no, I have I have no idea. He's just some old, old guy <laughs> working. Awesome. He's like, he coached Carl Lewis and blah, blah, blah. And the, the dad was blown away. But, you know, that, that story always stuck with me is because, like, he he just saw a problem and wanted to fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that, I think, is that that's high-performance coaching. It's like, yeah. I I can help this person. I'm going to help this person to get better. I'm not going to help this person because they're going to win an Olympic medal or, you know, set yeah. some sort of record and that's going to get me accolades. I'm a high performance coach, which means I can help these people get better. Yeah. yeah. And that's the difference now is, you know, Vern, from your era, most coaches were also teachers. They, you know, exactly. like Joe V. Hill taught exercise physiology. I mean, you, Tom, like all these, you know, greats of the previous generation yeah yeah, we're we're high performance teachers and now a coach a career coach is someone who's just trying to you know get to the next best institution or next best professional outfit with the next biggest salary and the next biggest budget so they can recruit the next top tier talent and i was having a conversation with um, a high school parent this weekend and they were like oh what can i do you know to best prepare my my kid for the next level because they're going to get better coaching in the college up. And I go, whoa, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah. Because the reality in this day and age is you just have these career coaches who are hopping from one job to the next. And, you know, it breaks my heart to see that now if you're at a school for more than four or five years, something's wrong with you. Yeah. Versus saying, like, no, this is where I am. This is where I'm going to be. I want to stay here. I want to teach here. You know, you want to create this moral fabric that you're involved in this community and sadly you know that is um untwining as we speak and it it's just from a top-down mentality about 
how these athletic directors are nowadays and what they prioritize. And so, you know, it takes a lot of effort in this world to be a high performance coach because those are harsh realities coaches have to deal with. I mean, yes, you have to stay employed and keep your job and make money and you got to play that administrative and politicking game. But at the same time, too, you can't lose sight of what, you know, your job really is, which is to teach and educate and impact these young men and women, if you're in the scholastic ranks, to become, you know, better human beings and citizens through the classroom of sport. And, you know, in my opinion, it's like every coach should have to go through like teachers at one on one, even if you don't plan on teaching, because, I mean, you really are teaching. But yet we don't think of coaches as teachers anymore versus. Yeah. But you see but you see salaries like, say, at the high school level. They're 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 supposed to just be extra stipends. They're not supposed to be okay. I'm, I'm going to be a high school career coach. It's like no, you're you're the history teacher and you're the track coach, or you're the science teacher and you're the cross country coach. You know, and that's that was a really healthy model that unfortunately we're starting to get further and further away from. And, and we're going to pay the price for this. We are paying the price for it. Um, I won't talk anything outside of track and field, but narrower and narrower. Sure, we've had, you know, in the last couple of Olympic Games, we've had some distance performances that I think are tainted, but but, uh, and some really good ones, too. I don't want to denigrate some of the the clean ones that Americans and that, but. You look what's what's happening, and you know that they're they're not kids aren't running for their high schools. Uh, you know, there's the coaches aren't teachers. They're they're somebody who who walks out at three o'clock, uh, has no relation, has no idea what the kids did all day. I remember when when I first started coaching and teaching in junior high, the kids ate lunch in my room, and we looked at you know movies and just talked about stuff and you know you really got to know the kids and mm-hmm. and this is a big big part of it and and uh, i mean you make so many really good points and administrators uh, don't get it i mean i i'm not trying to put down coaching at the collegiate level or at, at the pro level but i look at a lot of these videos that are put up and these some of these things that are put up on multimedia and i'd be embarrassed to put it up if i were if, I really would. I mean, you you know, maybe uh, maybe it's okay to expose your deficiencies out in front of the world. Don't call yourself an expert when you're yeah. doing really stupid shit. You know? <laughs> uh, sorry. And, you know, I look at some of the flow track workouts of the week and I go, great. Now everybody's going to copy that. You know, and uh, it works for, you know, it works for your two top runners and the other five are sucking wind, you know, and they couldn't finish the regional meet. But boy, your two top runners got okay, you know, just okay. Well, you know, I'm sorry. I I hope you through the sound waves, you get my dripping sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) But but and and, and you guys, I'm going to pay you both a compliment is you both coached high school. You know, you're young guys who both both coached high school. You would have no problem going back to coaching high school. I wouldn't either right now. Uh, I'm trying to find the right situation, um, depending where I end up living or where we end up living, that I'd just like to go to a high school and say, what do you want me to help you with? I don't want to be a head coach because I don't want to do all that stuff anymore, but I just want to coach. And that's that's where you have fun. You know, you take a kid from... You know, who thinks he's like one kid at Sarasota High when I was helping there when my daughter who thought he was a hurdler and ended up a state finalist in the long jump. Never even thought he could long jump, you know, and but yeah, that those are the things you do, you know, and, and when you look at people. So anyway, um, one cool thing I, I don't mean. And then and, uh, uh, Ron Rivera, the coach for the Carolina Panthers, uh, sat. Um, what's the quarter? Cam Newton. Out oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And somebody says, oh, we only sat him for the first series. Well, he sat him out because he didn't wear a tie, and everybody's required to wear a tie. And I don't watch SportsCenter and all that stuff, but I, I it was flipping, and it was on. And I liked Ron Rivera. Ron was at – I remember he was – I, I liked him when he was at Cal. He was a good leader, and I liked him with the Bears when he was a player and that. And and he, he, he said, we have core values here. Our owner, Mr. Richardson, has these core, and he recited the core values. And he said, everybody's expected to be held to those core values. He said, I believe that this is more than football. And he might get fired this year, you know, because he, it's, I mean, last year they were in the Super Bowl, this year they're terrible. But 
I thought, you know, and he was sincere. That wasn't a show, you know, and, and I thought, damn, this is this is really impressive in today's world, you know, and we, we do need to have more of that, too. You know, well, so. well, yeah, I mean, adding on to that point, and I saw that, too, is I think the, the biggest point of emphasis is that he really meant it. He really believes those are core values yeah. that are important. And this isn't in, in like in the business world, in the in the AD school of excellence world, is everyone pushes core values, but they're but they're these things to control people. They they don't really mean anything, right? Mean it. And I yeah. think that is the, the biggest difference is core values, purpose. It's not just something you check off because like, oh, this is good for leadership. This is going to make me a better coach or this is going to make me a better leader. No, it's, it's things that you really have to believe in. And I think like w- with our team, for example, is we, we don't have a ton of rules, but we have a couple, couple things where it's like, no, I really believe in these things and we're going to do them because I feel really strongly about them. And I think that, that is the point that, that Ron Rivera made that that I think we have to you know acknowledge yep. and go forth with, right? And I mean that's the thing is kids are, are excellent at calling bullshit, and that's why I say coaching at the high school level was really impactful for you know all of us here is because you can't BS at the high school <laughs> level. They'll, they'll call you out and they won't believe in you, and yep. you know now now you know coaching at the higher levels and the professional levels. I mean, you can, you know, talk the talk, but people will really will, you know, not care that they're disingenuine because it's quote unquote a business. And for some reason, it's always fascinating to me that business nowadays, oh, they're a great businessman, means they're a great liar. Like, I mean, they're just telling you whatever you want to hear to make that buck. And well, Tune in on that podcast that I'm starting next week. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but, oh, sorry. but you see it too. I mean, I talk to say a lot of people like who have even been at like the Nike Corporation, you know, and who were there in the beginning and there in the early days. And yep. you know, they, yeah, they're there to make a buck, but they also did have a core value that believe in. And now you're, you know, you're hearing of all these cuts coming. You're hearing, uh, you know, their revenues are way down. It's because people, I just think human beings in general are really good at sussing out BS too. Mm-hmm. And now it's you're, you're having all these products pushed on you that you don't really need that are just, you know, this fast fashion. That That's not sport. Fast fashion is not sport. And that's not what sport's about. And if you're going to say you're going to be about sport and champion sport, you know, that better be your core ethics that you stand by. And when you stop doing that, it's a slow decline in street cred and authenticity. And that's, I think, really important that people miss the boat on sometimes because they get so excited about making so much money. But but you're starting to see that come to fruition now is that mentality where it's just about the buck. I mean, you look at every sector within, like, say, basketball, for example. I mean, LeBron James's shoes – didn't sell as well. And even in running too, it's like, and it's not just one company. It's, it's every company is seeing a little bit of a dent because everyone just was trying to say, how do we sell the most crap possible rather than stay authentic to who we are? And you're seeing say like an Under Armour now have a little resurgence because they're more in your face and saying, here's what we're about. Here's what we do. And people are accepting that as an authentic, um, you know, tr- reality coming from that company. Now, who knows how long that will last, but long. that's, I, I, yeah, but that's the thing. It's like people who are the most dire and authentic are willing to stand up and say, no, this doesn't fit. No, this is not right. You know, people give Steve a lot of crap for being a whistleblower or expressing his opinions, you know, very fervently, you know, on social media. But I respect it because whether it's wrong or right, you know, at least someone's standing up and saying, like, I'm calling this. This one, this doesn't resonate with what I believe in or what I was taught or what's real. And I think all of us here have been labeled by some people either like troublemakers or suspect because we're just willing to say, you know, this well, isn't that's, right. That's what that's what really bothers me. And uh, on, on this whole thing is how many people are just scared spitless to speak up uh, on on a lot of these things. I mean, our sport. Our sport, the sport that we all love, track and field, is in the U.S. is in big trouble, and uh, 
and everybody just it's it's the old uh, you know narrow fiddle while Rome burned you know and and uh, now we have you know uh, a, a paid Nike employee as the president of USA Track and Field and uh, and it's about that man's reputation and his ego it's not about the sport you know and you have the president of the board is a is a Nike paid consultant you know so where does this end and let, let's get this back you know, the high performance, because I could get in, get real negative <laughs> on, on all this stuff. But I, I guess, the, you know, because I, I, I have to wrap it up here. I have to go somewhere in a few minutes. But do you think that um, can you learn to be a high performance coach or is that something that's kind of in your DNA a little bit and that you have to bring out? I think it's humility. If you have humility you can be a high performance coach because when it stops being about you and your reputation accolades you you know want to achieve or think if you achieve then the sun shines out your butt when you have that humility that you're just helping someone maximize their human potential then you are truly a high performance coach and i think that's why a lot of teachers are more high performance than a lot of professional coaches so depending on your degree of humility is going to you know be the, to me, deciding factor if you're willing to be open to learning, open to critique, open to criticism. I mean, how many times have we all called each other or friends or text each other like, hey, I I have this thing with this athlete. I don't know what to do. Do you know what to do? Like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I mean, being open to just asking that question instead of having to say, oh, well, I have to know what to do. Here's an algorithm or here's a schedule or here's a prescription. Do this and it will definitely make you better. You'll definitely do this. I mean, it, it, it's just hubris because that, that's not the world we live in. So to me, it comes down to your degree of humility. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'd, uh, I'd uh, just say I'll just copy what John says because that was good. Um, but I, I, think, I think the openness to learn is the biggest thing. I don't think it's something that is, you know, entirely ingrained with us. It's like, oh, you have the goods to be a master coach or you have the goods to you know, um, be a high performance coach. I think it's, it comes down to the ability to learn and opening yourself up to be able to learn. And when that, uh, and what that means is having that humility, having that idea that you don't have all the answers and that you tucked away in your little corner of the coaching world, isn't going to figure it out alone. I think if, if you can embrace the, the idea of learning and also, Embrace the idea of why you're coaching and putting athletes first and developing human beings instead of being in it for um, ego or selfish reasons, then you can you can reach that high performance coach. But what holds a lot of us back or holds many people back, I think, is letting their ego get in the way. Yeah. yeah. And sitting in a classroom for a weekend and taking an open book test after yeah. hours of lecture <laughs> does not mean you are now certified to do anything. And that's unfortunately the way the U.S. You know, coaching education system works is you spend a weekend all day in a conference room, you know, hearing someone talk and, you know, then you take this test and now you've gone from level one to level two to level three to blah, blah, blah. And it's like that, that really, it does a disservice because well, we've given you know, I think, a, a false sense of, of um, empowerment by, by the, the, that system and, and what's happened and uh, not and not talking about the underpinnings that we're talking about here. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just relate a quick story. I, I don't know if I'm going to relate it 100% accurate, so I want people to understand that, that Frank Dick told me two weeks ago about, um, I, and I, I'm remiss that I don't know her name, the lady, the 70-year-old grandma that coaches Van Newkirk. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's a real deal. She's a real coach. And uh, he calls her auntie. And uh, so uh, there's a whole bunch of stories. But this is this is so they're at they're at the warm up track in Rio before the final. And uh, he'd had a, you know, not so shaky uh, uh, semifinal, obviously drew lane eight. And uh, and they practice in lane eight and they had a plan about. He's, you know, he could run 20.5 in any lane, falling out of bed, stone cold. That's what he had to go through. And uh, so after the after the semifinals, she reminded him of that. Well, they go out and he starts to warm up, 
And all of a sudden he stops and he goes over to her and he says, I, I don't know if I can do it. I, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can do it. And she says, let's go over. There's a tent or something. He's in tears. He's just completely just a mess. And so she calms him down and she goes, you can do it. You've, you've done the preparation, you know that. And, uh, and so he just kind of steps back, dries the tears off his eyes. And she gives him a big hug and he says, thank you, auntie, and goes out and kicks ass, you know, and I mean, but that's knowing the person, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You know, and it's all, that's a high performance coach. Nobody knew about who this woman was. In fact, there was people that did know about her were trying to get him to change coaches. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and she, she will take that guy to 41 flat. If he stays with it or what, you know, whatever. I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration. He, he can go to some guru drug coach here in the United States and he'll run consistent 45s, no doubt. But she knows him, you know, and that's high performance coaching. So you know, it's, it's a cool story. I was in, I, and Frank said she told the story at IFAC and the whole audience was in tears. Hell, I was in tears on the computer. <laughs> because, but because I go like, man, we got to get this story out there because this is yeah. what it's really about. What, this is what it's really about. So, so, anyway. so I've got to run off to a meeting in one minute. So uh, okay. we'll end that here. But I'd like to, I'd like to add that I have zero certifications in anything, so I'm not certified to do anything. <laughs> oh, me too. I have no levels at anything. So, no. well, <laughs> I, I do, I do. I'm level one and level two, but right. that, but I wouldn't go through it now. In track, <laughs> I would not go through it now, and I pulled away completely from the program. So, so uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not ahead of you guys. You guys are, have already surpassed me, and because you're not bound by any stupid piece of paper. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, as always, All right, enjoy take the care. Thanks, you guys. Take care, guys. Have a nice holiday.